Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Now, I want to share a uh, scripture with you because a lot of people, bones of contention with pastors. I got a couple of messages about this this week. All I'm in it for is the money, and that's all pastors do is they take the money. Uh, there's a verse in Acts, Acts chapter 4. It talks about the early church. It says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Now, here's, here's the problem. A lot of people kind of use this verse, and they say, see, that's all that congregations want is your money, uh, that there was some kind of big commune religious deal going on, and they were just taking money from people. But this is the problem when we don't read the Bible in context to learn the truth of what happened, because the very next verse explains it. It says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all that there were no needy persons among them. It wasn't that the apostles were like, hey, we're trying to get rich, give us all your money. It's that the apostles were doing what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, just sharing and testifying about the truth of who Jesus was. And people would come in and hear that and say, hey, how can I help contribute to this so that more lives are changed? Right? Because then it says from time to time, those who own land or houses, they sold them, they brought the money from the sales, and they brought it to the apostles. So God, again, we are grateful for every single thing that we have, every blessing, every financial resource, every human resource, every person in the room, every person watching online, we are so grateful that they are here with us this morning. And we pray that as we gather, as we continue to worship, as we lift up and exalt your name, we pray that you are exalted above all. Uh, we pray that uh, we don't give out of manipulation or fear or anger or frustration but that our giving is out of acknowledging all the blessings that you have given us, acknowledging the truths of your word, acknowledging that your grace is working through us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 All right, as you are making your way back to your seats and getting situated, this week, we're going to conclude a series we've been doing on evangelism, um, but, and this is a big but, we're not going to stop praying for our family and friends and coworkers and people within our circles of influence to come to know Jesus, and we won't stop praying for God to use us to do it, uh, because a lot of people think that evangelism is something that's only done by the what I've been called uh, professional Christians, right? People who were paid uh, to preach the gospel or to uh, do ministry or whatever. But the reality is you guys probably share about people, share with people you know about Jesus more than I do because my tendency is, first of all, I'm an introvert, so I don't even like talking to people, right? Second, when I do talk to people, um, and I say, yeah, I'm a pastor, because they ask, what do you do? I'm a pastor. They immediately think, get ready for the church sales pitch. They immediately think, that's what I'm supposed to do. Tell them about Jesus, invite them to our Sunday celebration, yada, yada, yada. 
Like, I've been in conversations where we've been talking about, um, like, golf and sports. They're like, what do you do? I'm a pastor. The next sentence out of their mouth is, oh, yeah, I used to go to church. It has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but that's the mentality. Whereas, if you guys are talking to people, like if Andrew's talking to someone and they're like, what do you do? He's like, well, I drive a truck for a living. And they're like, okay, that's great. They'll go on with the conversation. They don't like put up walls and like, okay, you're going to get all preachy on me. They just go on with the conversation. So uh, there's this misunderstanding that only the pastors are supposed to do evangelical stuff. There's also the, the misnomer that evangelical Christianity has to do with politics. It has nothing to do with politics. It specifically has to do with um, just sharing about Christ. Like we said earlier, what the apostles were doing, they were sharing about the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ or sharing about the gospel of Christ. And this is what the professionals do. We talk about, yeah, the fact that as the scripture says that Jesus died, as the scripture said, he was buried, as the scripture said, he rose from the, third, from the grave on the third day, as the scripture said, and how that paid the atonement or paid the penalty for the sins of humanity, right? That's more the, the, the theological stuff. Or, or evangelism is basically what we talked about last week, just telling people, hey, here's what God has done in my life, right? Doesn't matter what you believe. Doesn't matter your political stance. None of that matters. All I'm telling you is here is what God has done in my life. And that's really where most people, like 90%, of Christians are going to fit in where evangelism takes place, where people go and they just share, here's what God has done in my life, right? Because it's not inviting anyone anywhere. It's not pushing your beliefs on anyone. It's just sharing, here's what God has done for me, right? And this is what most people are supposed to do, but it's also one of the things that a lot of people don't do. A lot of people avoid it. You would think if it's that simple, just sharing, here's what God has done in my life, it would be happening every day all across America, but it's not. So we have been talking about the fact that it's really a three-step process, right? Really simple, easy. First and foremost, pray about it. Not just the day that you walk into a crowd and you're like, should I talk about it? Just in your regular prayer time with God, okay, God, if there's a way for you to kind of use me today or for me to share what you've done, then you make that happen. Because if we don't pray about it, what ends up happening, and which is what we see a lot in America today, is where it ends up being about, it is about bringing people into the congregation, right? It is about, hey, we've, we've got to have more spaghetti fundraiser and this, not because we're trying to tell people about Christ, because it's all about money and we've got to put a new roof on. And so that's what's interpreted as evangelism, but it's not, which is why we need to pray about it to make sure that, hey, God, I, I, I don't know the exact, you know, whole Bible memorized thing, but give me the words to say so I can tell people, here's what you have done in my life. But also, we have to be willing to share what God has done in our life. Because there are some things that God has brought people through that it's kind of dark, that you don't necessarily want to share with other people, and it may take God to say, hey, Floyd, even though I brought you out of this dark place and you don't want to publicize it, if you share that with this one person, it will bring them out of that dark place too. But it's also, and this is more 
especially for me, because sometimes I don't know when to shut up. I mean, I'm paid to talk for a living, so I may want to go into detail, and, and, and instead of just say, saying, you know, here's the gospel, uh, you know, I start trying to read through the book of Romans to someone, and God is like, shut up, Floyd. Just tell them that God loves them. That's all they need to hear. Right? So we have to be willing to share both, yeah, here's the good things that God has done. Here's the bad things that God has done, which is why we have to pray about it. But most importantly, we have to actually go outside of the four walls and do it. Because on any Sunday morning in any congregation right now, uh, and all the services that are happening all over America and around the world where people are gathered, there are people sharing, hey, guess what? Here's what God has done in my life. God did this. Yes, you guys prayed for me. Thank you so much. God did that. But then when they leave the building... They won't tell anybody else because there's this stigma that we don't talk about religion, we don't talk about politics. I'm not trying to talk about religion, I'm not trying to talk about politics. I see that you're struggling with this, I just want to tell you God brought me through this. I want to share with you, here is what God has done in my life. And this is something that we're all supposed to do, something that God calls all of us to do, right? And here's the important thing. The reason we need to pray, right? Make sure that we're doing what God, saying what God wants us to do. Be willing to share. We need to go out and do it because here's the reality, right? There are eternal blessings for people if we go out and share our stories, right? They're not just eternal blessings, blessings for people in this life because there are marriages that can be healed if we're willing to go out and tell people, yeah, our marriage, we were in a dark place, but God brought us through it. There are people that have dealt with some physical, emotional, sexual trauma in their life. And if we prayerfully go and share, yeah, but God brought me through that too. He helped. He healed me. There are people that are dealing with all kinds of stuff that God has brought us through. And there are blessings in their life. There's hope. Uh, uh, marriages can be restored Families can be reconciled if we're willing to go and share, here's what God did for my marriage, for my family, for my emotional or mental health or whatever we were dealing with that God brought us through. And there are eternal blessings because then they get to spend an eternity in the presence of God as a part of the family of God. But just as there are eternal blessings, there are consequences if we don't go out. Not just eternal consequences like they're separated from God for all eternity, but also consequences in this life like there are people who they won't have hope. They won't have healing. They won't experience a reconciliation in their marriages and in their families if we don't go out and tell them that God is able to do that. There won't be people who know that God can sustain them, he can help them, uh, he can heal them, and all of these things he can do for them. Now, how many people are familiar with the book of Jonah, right? Most of us are because of the whale stories, not about the whale story. We'll get into that. Book of Jonah, one of the most evangelical accounts in the Bible, right? But we're told from the time we're small that it's all about the whale. That's what most of us remember about it, the whale story, right? Now, here's the thing, though. In the book of Jonah, um, God uses Jonah. The whale is just one aspect of God using Jonah to go to a people and share about God's redemptive plan, right? It's one of the most evangelical books in, in the Bible. 
Uh, so I want to start by showing you God's perspective from the book of Jonah. Right? It's, it, again, not about the whale. Most of us are familiar with the whale. That's the most prevalent aspect. But in the book of Jonah, and if you want to read along, turn to Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to jump to the end. We're going to do a real high-level overview of the book of Jonah, real high level. But if you want to jump to the end, um, I'm going to put up this verse. This is how the book of Jonah ends, right? So Jonah goes, he preaches to these people. We'll get to that. God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And let me give you some background and context. After Jonah goes and preaches to these people, he goes and he sits outside of the city. This is the city in the desert, right? It's hot. Uh, the sun is beating down. So God literally has a plant grow up to provide shade for Jonah overnight. Like he makes this plant grow overnight to provide shade for Jonah while Jonah is sitting in the desert waiting to see whether the city will repent or not. Then, as an object lesson, because this is how God rolls, he takes the plant away and brings down even more scorching heat. And Jonah is irate, right? As you or I would be. I mean, we've had some 90-degree days. Imagine that in the desert, no shade, no water fountain, no Rita's water ice, just you sitting in the desert, right? So then the Lord said to Jonah, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And here's the key. And he says, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, which is the city he sent Jonah to, to share about repentance, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many animals. So he's like, hey, Jonah, let, let, let's put things in perspective. You're upset about a plant that was providing shade for you, but shouldn't I be concerned about 120,000 people, their eternal destinies are at stake, right? I mean, the perspective is, hey, you're upset because you're dealing with a little heat. Shouldn't we be more concerned that 120,000 people, and depending on, some theologians think, because it says people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, that that 120,000, they think it's talking about children, right, because they don't know their right hand from the left. Uh, if it is talking about children, then do the math, add a parent, you know, a man and a woman to give birth to the child, and you're talking about anywhere from up to half a million to 700,000 people. At most, it's likely talking about 120,000 people, and the reason he talks about their animals is because he, he, he's talking about their entire life situations because animals were beasts of burdens, what they used, to get work done. They didn't have cars, they didn't have like tractors, they didn't have Ford pickup trucks. So God says, hey, my concern is for all of these people, for their lives and their eternal destiny. Because the book of Jonah, it isn't just about the whale story, right? It isn't about God trying to force people onto religion. It isn't about God seeing you know, the fact that, uh, hey, if I get all of these people to commit their lives to me, they'll all tithe and I'll get rich. That's, that has nothing to do with it. It's God looking and saying, hey, their eternal destiny is at stake. And it matters to me. Right? So, again, there are eternal blessings 
when we as Christians go out and we evangelize, not about getting people into the building, not about getting people to tithe, getting people to experience God's goodness, his grace, his mercy, and his love, but there are also eternal consequences when we don't do that. All right? So let me give you a little bit of background on Jonah before we move on, because a lot of people think that the story of Jonah, the account of Jonah, is just uh, an allegory, that it's just a tale that people tell to show the difference between, like, this is right and this is wrong. Here's the thing. If you're a believer in the Bible, it doesn't leave room for that. Right? Because Jesus talks about Jonah as an actual person. In the book of Luke, uh, Jesus says this, as the crowds increased, Jesus said, this is a wicked generation. It asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. And he talks about the fact that Jonah went in to preach repentance. Hey, repent, or you're going to have to deal with the consequences of God to the Ninevites, and that is the exact same thing Jesus did. And Jesus here and elsewhere talks about Jonah the same way he talks about Moses, the same way he talks about David, the same way he talks about Daniel, Elijah, all the other prophets. As real historical people in his history. So even though we find it kind of fantastic about a whale swallowing a man and keeping him you know, in his stomach for three days, when people ask me, how am I supposed to believe that's true? And I usually respond with, if there is a God who created the heavens, the earth, and the universe, why would that be so hard for him to have a whale swallow a man and sustain him? I think if there is a God and he can't do that, that's where I have trouble. But if there is a God who created everything, then that is easy for him to do. And again, it's not about the well, and I'll show you why. Uh, so if you want to follow along, turn to the book of Jonah, chapter 1. We're going to do it really quick, so I'm going to put all the verses up here on the screen. Jonah, chapter 1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, the wickedness that he's referring to, that word wickedness, is not just, hey, they're not tithing, they're not you know, abiding by the law, because they weren't. Right? They worship multiple gods, but their wickedness was violence, immorality, brutality against innocent people. And God said, hey, there is a consequence, again, for what they're doing. Right? Now, here's the thing. Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying a fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. And that word flee, in some versions it says flee the face of God because it was more likely that he was like, hey, I don't want to respond and do what God is calling me to do. Now, I know the Bible doesn't say this, but if you dig into the history of it, he had some valid reasons that we would all say, I get it. I agree with that 100%. God was asking him to go to a people that were different than him racially. And we just, I mean, turn on the news any given month, and you'll see racial conflict all across America, all across the world, right? There are a lot of people who have a hard time going to talk to people who have a different race. They were different culturally. So he was like, hey, I'm not doing it. I, I, I don't understand their culture. Most important, and this is going to be more prevalent as we move closer to the elections, they were different 
politically. They had a totally different political perspective. Jonah was from the nation of Israel, which was all about just saying, we want to be God's people. God has given us land. We want to live. We want to, you know, do our sheep and farming thing and have our lives. The Ninevites were a conquering people. They were all about, oh, you have great land, I'm going to take it. You have great farmland, I'm going to take it. I want to conquer other nations. So technically, they were a threat to Jonah and his nation. So he was like, I'm out, God. And I know it kind of seems hard because most of us, we feel like if God says, go do yada, 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 we're going to say, yes, God, I'm going to go do yada, yada, yada. But, I mean, for me, I, I, this, is, this is my mindset. Don't judge me. If, if God said, hey, Floyd, tomorrow morning, tomorrow's a holiday, Tuesday morning, I want you to go knock on the door of the local KKK branch in downtown Pittsburgh, which there shouldn't be a KKK branch in downtown Pittsburgh, but go knock on the door and share the gospel with them, I'm probably going to be like, I'm out. Send a white person, send somebody else. There's so many other, I don't even live in downtown Pittsburgh. Send someone else to go. Now, I'm not going to get on a train and try to escape God, but I'm going to come up with all the reasons why I'm not doing that. Which when you put it in that kind of perspective, that's what Jonah was looking at. And even though there are eternal consequences. If someone doesn't go share the gospel with the local branch of the KKK, I'm praying that if God ever told me to go that I would muster up somehow and go, but I, I know me well enough to say that I'm probably not going to go. I'm going to come up with excuse after excuse not to go, which is what Jonah did, right? Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, such a violent storm rose, that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And here's the thing. When you see that phrase, great wind, right? Most people think, oh, a wind, like blowing the branches, blowing the trees. Think tornado, right? But think out at sea, a tornado. Has anyone ever seen, you've seen, you know, like TV shows where the tornado goes moving? Think of a tornado that just stuck right there on the ship and wasn't moving, right? So all of the sailors were afraid, and they cried out to his own God. So there were multiple sailors, multiple different cultures, multiple different types of worship, but they were smart enough to know that this storm, tornado-like thing, that just staying right here on the ship, normally they move, this one isn't moving, this isn't natural, so it must be supernatural. Right? They threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship, but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a sleep. Now, most people think, oh, this was way back then. They were in like a rowboat. This wasn't a rowboat. This was a sizable ship with multiple sailors on it from different cultures. It had a lower deck. They had lots of equipment and cargo on it. This is a sizable ship that is shaking so violently from what they can say, this is not normal, this is not natural, it must be supernatural, that they start calling on their own gods, right? 
So Jonah, they go down, wake him up, and ask him, tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Now, this is significant because most of them, and most of the cultures at that day, worship multiple gods. So they had a god of the sea. They had a god of the land, they had a god of the fishes, they had a god of fertility, they had a god of farming. Jonah says, hey, I worship one god. He's the god of the sea, of the land, of all things. He created the storm that we're seeing because I made him mad, because I'm not doing what he called me to do. And at that, it says, they were frightened, it terrified them. And what terrified them is, hey, wait a second, Normally, there's a God of this, there's a God of this, there's a God of this. But if your one God created all these things, he is so powerful and so fearful that it got them scared. And they knew he was running away because he had already told them. Then they cried out to the Lord. This is what happens. So Jonah says, hey, you guys want to stop the storm? Just throw me overboard. And they're like, dude, we are not doing that. I mean, we may not share your beliefs, but we're not cold-blooded, wicked people. We're not going to throw you overboard. But they, they start throwing over cargo. They try everything. They finally say, hey, guess what? We got to throw him overboard because nothing else is working. This isn't a natural storm. It hasn't moved. It's supernatural. Let's do what he says. Then they cried out to the Lord, to not their gods, to Jonah's God, Jehovah. Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. The minute Jonah went underwater, the storm ceased, the tornado went away, and the sea went calm. And at this, it says, the men greatly feared the Lord. Not feared like we're shivering and afraid of him, but now feared, that word feared, is the same word that's used for reverential worship and awe of Jonah's God. And they made vows to him, and they made sacrifices to him, and there are theologians that still argue about whether or not that means they actually committed their lives to God. But the same verbiage that's used there of offering sacrifices and making vows is said of Abraham, it's said of Isaac, it's said of Jacob, that did the exact same thing. Because it's likely that these men were like, hey, this God is worthy of our worship. Does anyone see that the, the focus, it's not about the whale. It's about God's desire, even in Jonah's disobedience, for people to come to know him. Right? So here's the thing, though. Jonah, right, gets thrown under and gets swallowed by the whale. Three days he's in this whale. And after three days, he makes this huge commitment and prayer to God. Now, you or me, I'm not judging Jonah, probably the moment I'm gasping for air underwater, I'm going to be like, all right, God, you win. And if that doesn't do it, the moment the whale's teeth close over me, I'm like, all right, God, you win. But Jonah, stubborn as he is, it's three days before he does that. This is what he prays on the third day. He says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. And one of the reasons this was part of his prayer 
is because the idols that he were clinging to are the same idols we do today, that of patriotism. There is nothing wrong with loving your country. I spent 12 years in the military because I love my country, and I know there are people on both sides of the political aisle that love their country, but I believe our love of our country pales in comparison to what Jonah had for his country, the country that God literally created but also the idol that he clung to of racism and cultural separation. And he was like, hey, by clinging to these idols, we're kind of turning away from your love. But then he says this, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you, because he's acknowledging, just like some of us, it's going to take a sacrifice to go share with people, here's what God has done for me. But most importantly, and this is specific to him, he says, what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Because as a prophet of God, that was his only purpose, his only job was to go and tell people, thus saith the Lord. Salvation comes from God. And we're not prophets, but if we're Christians, we have one job to go tell people, here is what God has done. It's the only reason the church exists. There is absolutely no other reason for the church to be on earth other than to proclaim about God's goodness, his love, his mercy, and his grace. And then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. Now, here's the thing. A lot of us, and when I say us, I don't mean just here in this room, mostly in America, we like Jonah, there's a lot of reasons why we're not going to go share about what God has done, especially across political or racial or cultural lines. But God doesn't care about our petty differences, right? He doesn't care that I'm black and someone else is white. He doesn't care that one person is Republican and another one is Democrat. He doesn't care that one person's rich and one person's poor, that one person's American and another person is uh, Canadian or from another country or wherever. All he cares about are the eternal consequences if we don't do what God has called us to do. All he cares about is the fact that there are people who could be experiencing hope and healing and their lives being made full if we go do what God has called us to do, right? So then, after the whale vomited him out, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you, or I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through. And I don't, I'll show you, this is not so much about, hey, look at how big and how glorious and how great the city is. It's more about what Jonah was about to do, right? Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days in Nineveh will be overthrown. Now think about this. Think about West Jefferson Hills School District, West Elizabeth, Jefferson Hills, Pleasant Hills. It wouldn't take us three days to walk that whole thing. But imagine if it did. Jonah went about a third of the way into the city. So starting at West Elizabeth, he went to every community, every neighborhood, stopped by every store, proclaiming 40 more days and the West Jefferson Hills, Jefferson Hills School District will be overthrown. 
Then he came up the hill in the Jefferson Hills, went to Tea Park, went to all the communities on this side, crossed over and went to all the ones on the other side. Every store, every neighborhood, every community, every little cul-de-sac proclaiming 40 more days and you guys are going to be overthrown. I mean, that's kind of a, a, a harsh thing to do. But here's, here's the thing. I want to show you guys this. The Ninevites believed God. Not just Jonah. They believed God. A fast was proclaimed. All of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Sackcloth is, 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 is reminiscent of being in mourning and repentance. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. So even the government leader was like, hey, we got to get this thing right. This is the proclamation that he, the king, issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them, and this is key, give up their evil ways and their violence. Because here's the reality. The king knew that everything that they were doing was wrong. It wasn't just, hey, this is an evil government, so God is unjustly judging all the people for what the government leaders are doing. This was a king, a culture, a city, and a nation steeped in violence and brutality. Like it said, from the richest to the poorest, from the most important to the least, this was their way of life, to rob, to steal, to take, to be brutal to innocent people. And that's why the king said, let everyone give up their evil ways and their violence. Right? He says, who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw that what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. Now, here's the question that I asked, and I'm going to be totally transparent, all right, just so no one thinks anything. Um, I wrote a book about this, a devotional called Hi, My Name is Jonah, right, that talked about this. And one of the things that was going through my mind was, why in the world did the people repent? Why in the world did the king repent? If I were king and someone came into my town saying, you're going to be destroyed in 40 days, I'd be like, somebody kill him. Get, get him out of here. But there's actually a reason why the people listened, and there's actually a reason why the king listened, and we may not agree with the reasons, but I, I want to show you this, so bear with me for a few more minutes, all right? Way back in the book of 2 Kings, this is what it says. Keep your mind Jonah, Jonah, but listen to this. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, this is who this is about, Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. Samaria is crucial throughout the Bible about how people deal with these racial differences and how God transcends them. Uh, the, the northern and southern kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, Samaria was the, the capital, ends up getting overthrown by the Ninevites and the Assyrians. Right? So the Assyrians end up bringing in people to live there, and they leave some of the Jewish people there. They intermix, they intermarry. And then, then you get to the New Testament, 
How many people remember the story of the good Samaritan that Jesus talks about? He uses the Samaritans because the Jews looked at them as like, you're like half-breeds, you have different culture, different religion. So there was a lot of uh, racial and religious tension. And how many people remember the story we talked about, the woman by the well? That took place in Samaria, where Jesus, it says Jesus had to go there, but once he ministered to them, and this whole town came out, and they committed their lives to Christ, he left. Right? So Samaria, huge place about racial kind of intolerance. So the king, um, Jeroboam, son of Johash, is the king, right? He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, didn't turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. But Jeroboam, he also did this. He was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea. In accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath Hefer. So Jonah went and prophesied that, hey, the, the boundaries of the northern kingdom of Israel are going to be restored to such and such, right? Later, this king came and did it. The Ninevites, which were a conquering people, they would take notice of another nation expanding its borders. Because they're like, hey, we got to pay attention to them as, one, are they a threat to us? Or two, do we want to go take that land? But then this also happened, right? So that happened. This happened 770 to 780, or 780 to 770 BC. That's when that took place. Then, in 765 BC, there was a plague throughout Nineveh. It's a walled city. So, I mean, we think we were struggling with the pandemic Walled city, plague, so many people killed. They looked at it as, hmm, is this divine judgment, right? Then, 763 BC, there's a solar eclipse. We look at it as, yeah, the stars and stuff are moving. They looked at it again as, oh my gosh, more divine judgment from the gods, right? Then, 759 BC, another plague. Some theologians think, just like us, it was a resurgence of the same plague. Several years later, another plague, walled city, tragic, more deaths. Their thinking is, the gods are very angry at us. We have to do something because the gods are mad at us. And then about after the last plague, 759 BC, somewhere 12 to 18 months after the last plague, Jonah walks into the city, the same prophet who proclaimed that another nation's borders were going to expand, walks into this city saying, in 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. And they believed God because they were like, hey, the gods are mad at us. Jonah was just revealing to them which God. And I'm not saying that God caused the plague or this, that, and the other. I'm saying that God used the circumstances in order for him to go preach repentance so that they could turn from their wicked ways. Because there are eternal blessings when we go and we share the truth of God's words, but there are consequences when we don't. When we don't uh, do the, the simple things of one, just again, um, this is important, 
going and making sure we understand how important those people are. God tells Jonah, hey, there's 120,000 people. Their eternal consequence matters to me. And the same way it matters to God about the people of Nineveh, it matters to God about the people in our families who don't know him. It matters to God about the people in our schools who don't know him. It matters to God about the people in our communities that don't know him. God's desire, and it's not about, again, nowhere did he say, hey, go make sure these people tithe, go bring them and make sure they get to synagogue on time so we can show our numbers increased and, and we have more musicians and more this and that. None of that. It was just about their eternal consequence, their separation from God, which is why we have to be willing to pray, be willing to share, and be willing to just go outside of these four walls and tell people, here is what God has done in my life. So we're going to end like this. I'm going to ask you guys to stand. And when we started this and throughout this, I've been asking you guys to think of people in your family, your friends, your coworkers. Uh, and again, this isn't about inviting them to the Sunday celebration, but people that we want, to, we want to experience God's goodness, God's grace, and God's mercy. And we're going to close how we started a couple of weeks ago, just praying for them. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to say their name, but if you know their name, let their name come to mind right now. And as we bow our heads, God, we lift up our family members to you, our friends to you, our co-workers to you, our neighbors, our fellow students, the people within our circles of influence, the cashiers that we see on a regular basis, the waiters and waitresses that we see at our regular restaurants whenever we go. Those people that we see, we know, and associate with on a regular basis, we're praying for their eternal salvation. We ask that you impress it upon our hearts, that we do be in prayer for them regularly, and that when your Holy Spirit prompts us that we be willing to share, here is what you have done in our life, and that we, your people, who are called by your name, would be willing to go outside of these walls and testify to your goodness, grace, mercy, and love. God, we don't want to be the people that beats people over the head with the Bible. We don't want to be the people that tries to force people into a building on Sunday. We want to be the people that honestly tells others that there is a God who loves us and who loves them too. And we pray that you, through your Holy Spirit, would inspire us to do it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, Pray that you guys have an awesome rest of your Sunday. Feel free to stay and enjoy food. Brandon is on his way with ribs. Christy is on her way down, I believe, with hot dogs. And until then, we have fruit and some other stuff to nibble on. Uh, but yeah, you guys are welcome to stay, uh, fellowship, uh, have some fun, and uh, see everyone next week. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you did, please leave a comment on our webpage, crossroadsofjeffersonhills.com or our Facebook page. You can also join our Sunday celebration every Sunday at 1037 a.m. We look forward to hearing from you online or in person. Thank you and God bless.